Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm joined on the line by regular guest Fleur Kilpatrick, who joins us fortnightly for a segment called Shoot the Messenger. Normally, Fleur and I review work that we've seen on stage, but with theatres across the country in lockdown, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. So, Fleur, what have we come up with instead? <laughs> well, I think that, I think it's still about what theatre, what art are we consuming? And actually, there's been a real explosion of art in the last two weeks. In a strange way, I feel inundated by art in a way that I wasn't previously because it's just all over social media. Every orchestra doing their doing their remote performances and every choir trying to sing remotely and work out a way to broadcast art to people. So in a strange way, it's actually felt like art has suddenly become a whole lot more pivotal to just like every day lives. So I want to actually start with a balcony performance that happened in Sydney. Um, two opera singers, uh, Tom Dalton and Tom Hamilton, singing You're the Voice from a balcony to the apartments around them as people waved uh, phone uh, lights, torches, uh, fairy lights, whatever they could find on all the surrounding balconies. Now, what I just love about this is partly just sort of seeing more and more lights turn on around them, people trying to join in on the chorus, but also it's sort of this democratising of this art form, opera, that it can at times feel kind of like a heritage art form and not in step with what's going on in the real world. And so seeing these beautiful opera singers bellowing out You're the Voice to a hugely appreciative audience of apartment dwellers um, just filled my heart. It was such a beautiful example of how artists have just gone, okay, there's no work, let's just bring some joy. Um, so that's where I want to start. What have you been consuming, Richard? Well, it's interesting, before I talk about some of the things that are out there, I wanted to come back to your point about the mm. this kind of flood of performing arts mm. uh, suddenly manifesting online. And yes, on the program uh, the other week, for example, I spoke to the managing director of the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra about their plans, mm. the fact that they've, they're doing a concert uh, at 7, I think it's 7pm or 7.30, I'll double check in a moment, uh, on Thursday nights and 3pm on Sundays for small chamber pieces. Some of that's live and some of that's pre-recorded stuff that they're releasing onto YouTube. But, yeah, the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra have done something similar. Um, orchestras around the world and around the country are, are, are opening up their archives. And it made me hope, perhaps, and because I am an eternal optimist at heart, despite my, my pessimistic demeanour at times, it made me hope that people will realise, people who are sometimes dismissive of the arts and think of art as um, elitist activity, will suddenly be reminded of how important art is, how important stories are, and that sense of social connection that we have through the arts. And whether it's orchestras democratising their performances, uh, making work freely available instead of charging uh, top-end prices, etc. Um, that notion of being able to see a, 
uh, comedy performance. The Listies, for example, the kids' comedy duo, yeah. have released um, uh, a song online called Wash Your Hands, uh, yeah. in which they've roped in a whole bunch of other comedians to help them sing the lyrics. And so that notion of art becoming more important in a crisis, I really hope that's one of the legacies of this current shutdown that we're all experiencing, that, yeah, as I say, people who were perhaps previously dismissive of the arts will now be reminded as they have to self-isolate that art across various forms, books, music, theatre, whatever it may be, that art really does matter. Absolutely. So it's a really warming thought, isn't it? And particularly when we know that our industry has been knocked, um, really knocked knocked about in the last couple of weeks and just this seismic shift that's going on, but people are still creative, creating. Um, I want to mention a beautiful dance work that I've seen out of the US called Exquisite Corpse, which is 42 choreographers collaborating remotely to make one dance. So like the game Exquisite Corpse, where you sort of fold over the paper and pass it on and someone has to use the tiny little lines you've drawn to start the next bit. This one, uh, the last movement, the last frame of the dancer that came before um, creates the body shape of the the starting body shape of the next piece of dance. And you've got incredibly famous dancers and choreographers in there. I know so few of them, but um, even to me, the names Meredith Monk and B.B. Miller pop up and I go, oh, that sounds significant. Um, and that's just this beautiful little piece that sprang up about a week and a half ago. So in the very early days of this shutdown, um, so there's that, which I'm really enjoying. What I, else have you thank, found? And thank you for sharing that with me. I watched that this morning, <laughs> and while I was, uh, when I should have been preparing for the show, I just thought I'd watch this instead. And so, jump on YouTube, uh, the uh, Exquisite Corpse, and it's corpses in corps de ballet, so C-O-R-P-S. Exquisite Corpse, 42 choreographers, one dance, uh, and it's uh, cr- the music that they use is by the composer Robert Ean, uh, and it's a project from the Ohio State University Department of Dance. But if you just mm-hmm. yeah, search for Exquisite Corpse, C-O-R-P-S, 42 choreographers picking up one another's movements. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, playful, but but I stress beautiful response to kind of, again, mm-hmm. to lockdown and isolation. Now, some of the other things that have caught my eye, Australian Theatre Live, who launched a couple of years ago by filming theatre performances and then putting them out into cinemas the way that National Theatre Live do in the UK. They've launched um, an online streaming festival. So if you go to the Australian Theatre Live Facebook page, uh, you can catch a production of David Williamson's Emerald City uh, being live-streamed on the 2nd and the 3rd of April at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. tonight and tomorrow night. Yes, so, yeah, that's tonight and tomorrow night uh, at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And then next week, Mary Rachel Around the Dapto Chaser, uh, which will be uh, streamed on the 10th and the 11th of April. So it's an opportunity to see theatre productions from interstate you may never have been able to catch anyway, uh, and now you can uh, watch them live streamed via the Australian Theatre Live Facebook page. So that's definitely mm. one to keep an eye on. I think something that I've loved in these bits of art that a lot of us are consuming, and this is not um, the case with the streaming, but um, still lovely to be able to get this artwork, 
But so much of it is happening in people's homes. And, you know, with this exquisite corpse dance, for instance, you've got people dancing down their corridor with bags of shopping and, and suddenly it becomes this incredibly beautiful unifying act or dancing in, a, in an empty street or a car park or a field. And so you're just seeing artists kind of welcome you into their space in a very different way than we usually do. And I think it comes back to that idea of what is a theatre. Um, one of my favourite definitions of theatre, uh, where did I get it from? Um, I got it from a Boal book, but I think he was quoting someone else. He said, theatre is a platform, or two people, a platform and a passion. That's all you need to have a theatre, says Boal. And platform is a debatable idea as well, but we can kind of make art wherever we are and what, with whatever we have. And that's going to be really interesting to see how artists respond. That said, I do just want to share another little gorgeous thing that some people might already be onto is Nick Cave's Red Hand Files, where Nick Cave answers letters. Uh, it's a sort of a, a dear... I don't know, a um, write-in for help or artistic thoughts from um, Nick Cave, and it's just beautiful. And some people wrote in recently to ask, what does a creative person do in isolation? And that's a gorgeous letter, and he does sort of start by saying, my response to crisis has always been to create, but he sort of comes to the conclusion throughout the letter that also it is okay to just witness and to just be in this moment and to see how we can attend to how we can attend to this moment of history because it is a really seismic shift so I don't want us sort of talking about the amazingness of all this work to be making artists who have potentially just lost their job go I've got to be making art right now as well like it's okay to attend to this moment and then maybe in a couple of months you'll get your creative drive back and create something else and maybe pick up the load from someone else who is who has slumped over and got exhausted. And so it's going to be this constant conversation between, you know, what we, between our creativity and our human exhaustion as well, I think, because um, it is a marathon, not a sprint, and we're in and creating this together as a community. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see what we make. Now, one of the things that I think people will be missing in terms of that sense of community is the opportunity to go to music festivals, which uh, yeah. I know for many Triple R listeners uh, attending music festivals are not only a rite of passage, they're a, a kind of a ritual and a reminder of, of connection and community. You may end up camping with complete strangers or with a group of 15 friends. Or, uh, and uh, the Riverboats Music Festival have launched a new platform called the Lounge Room Sessions, which is not only a way to access entertainment, oh, but to put money directly into the hands of Australian performing artists. So they kicked this off on the 25th of March and each night uh, an Australian solo artist or band will perform a 20-minute set from their lounge room broadcast via Facebook Live and there's a link where you can then make an optional contribution to the artist via a dedicated fundraising page administered <laughs> by Try Booking. 100% of funds will be paid directly to the artist. So if you go to uh, www.facebook.com forward slash the lounge room sessions, all one word, you can find the details. And I believe that tonight, Henry Waggins will be performing live at 8pm Australian <laughs> Eastern Daylight Time. So uh, I know Mr Waggins is uh, a fan of Triple R 
bar and vice versa. So, uh, yes, the lounge room sessions on Facebook for kind of live concerts. And something else that literally just landed in my inbox this morning, uh, I wanted to know, let people know about because there's a lot of kids in lockdown at the moment and parents who are trying to work from home while also keeping their kids entertained. A whole bunch of preschool entertainers, Fleur, have come together for a, a sing-along of living room proportions, as they say. Uh, the, the Aussie Kids Couch Concert. It's available via streaming platform Vimeo On Demand uh, and will feature a range of local kind of uh, kids and uh, very young kids performers. So uh, it's for ages two to five. Um, uh, and I think if you go to Vimeo, uh, vimeo.com forward slash on demand forward slash kids couch concert, uh, you can uh, either rent it or purchase it uh, so you can watch it again. But a range of kids performers uh, kind of avocado smash, the beanies, B minor, cheeky tunes, Emily Who and others, keeping little kids entertained. Uh, and again, live performance and you're supporting the performers and keeping your, your, your small children entertained simultaneously. That sounds wonderful. And now, Richard, before we went, we came on our air as well, you and I were kind of hunting around for Radio National's archive of radio plays, and we're sure it's out there, but um, we weren't able to find it in a few minutes before we went online. But if anyone does find a, or wants to put together a page full of great Australian radio plays, we would love to hear about it and love to talk about it and dive into it because it's an incredible medium that's still really accessible to us right now as well. And uh, if you do know of any great archives and web pages of Australian radio drama, tweet me at Richard the Watts and uh, I will happily share that with everybody. I, I do know that the National Film and Sound Archive ha have a bit of an archive of some old uh, radio plays, so from the 1950s, from the 1930s and so forth. Not necessarily the entire series, but adaptations of Mutiny on the Bounty from 1938, for example. So that's at the National Film and Sound Archive, nfsa.gov.au. Fleur, thank you for catching up again this fortnight. And, uh, I Thanks hope, so much. I hope you're staying safe and sane in this strange time that we live in. I'm definitely staying safe. We'll see about the other ones. That one's yet to be confirmed. Cool. <laughs> Thanks so much. Take Richard. care. Take see you care. soon. Bye-bye. Triple R. My next guest has just joined us on the line. Adrian Collette is the CEO of the Australia Council for the Arts, the uh, kind of uh, independent government authority that provides funding for artists and arts organisations around the country. Adrian, a very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us here on the program to talk about the Australia Council's new Resilience Fund, which seems like a, a significant initiative from Council. Oh, thank you, Richard, and, and very good to be with you at this time. Good to be with anyone at this time, really. Yes, uh, um, yes it, it, this is something we've been able to do within our Australia Council budget, uh, and it accompanies a raft of things we've done to respond um, to respond to this terrible time, terrible circumstances we all find ourselves in. Uh, in the same way, I have to say, uh, artists are responding. Uh, to this time, um, just so so brilliantly. Um, essentially, this is a, at this point a five million dollar uh, fund. Uh, we hope to increase it over time to really help artists ride through this bump. Uh, 
Now, that's not a big amount of money. We know that. But this comes on top of the funding we provide for uh, organisations and artists in other ways. We've created it at a time of emergency through repurposing a lot of our other grants, like career development grants, fellowship grants, some government-directed funding around um, regional touring, because there isn't those things are simply not going to happen in the next six months, and we thought this money was better spent uh, investing directly in artists and small organisations. And it, it is a fund designed, we will announce it, by the way, tomorrow. It'll be up on our website, uh, and we will have all uh, a series of FAQs uh, to help guide people through it quickly and we will process any requests within 48 hours, I think, is the undertaking. Uh, it, it's a fund designed for individual artists, smaller organisations, given that, that other small to medium organisations are funded through multi-year funding and, and uh, partnership frameworks. We've, we've um, organised it in three uh, fundamental ways. Part of it will just be an emergency response. Artists and small groups who have uh, obviously lost income streams, box office, whatever it might be, and need some cash to get through a period, we will respond to that as fast as we can. Remembering that these funds are very constrained. You know, there are never enough dollars. Um, but, but as we see these claims, we'll assess them and respond to them as fast as we can. The second stream is something we call ADAPT, and uh, I think this really responds to what artists are really doing anyway. Uh, I think in many ways our sector was adapting over a period of time and probably a grim irony of COVID, the impact of COVID is that we are having to fast-track that. And I'm thinking particularly about how artists are getting their work out digitally, how they're creating it, um, and this part of the fund will be to invest in those things that keep artists and art connected to the broader, broader community. Um, and, and the third stream we will concentrate on is something we simply call create. Uh, we know that artists around the country have to keep working, uh, and we hope that once we get through this record time there will be an efflorescence of artistic expression and activity, and this is this stream is simply to help some artists continue to concentrate on their work through this period, particularly as we're having to live these lives of relative solitude at the moment. So I hope that gives you a feel for it. It does. And as you said, the uh, information about the Resilience Fund quick response opportunities will be on the Australia Council website from tomorrow, Friday the 3rd of April. Now, yep. uh, Adrian, as you said, this is redirected money that's, uh, that's come... In, that You've suspended other investment programs such as contemporary music, touring, uh, the travel fund for literature and so forth. Now, yep. it makes absolute sense to suspend those programs yep. temporarily. But yep. uh, in terms of of enabling organisations to plan in the long term for their stability yep. in the coming months and uh, next year and beyond. When do you think that the funding cycle will return to normal? Can you predict that at this stage? Uh, 
I can't I can't predict it at this stage, but I think we'll all be a lot wiser in in about three months. I'm happy to say that we've been able to reinstate immediately uh, the mentoring pro- program around arts and disability, uh, which is something very very uh, close to the heart of the Australia Council. Um, so we will announce that today and extend the application date. Uh, to ease the burden on that, but that was something that was very important to us. But we have no intention of walking away from these programs in the mid to long term. Uh, So as we get into a new budget cycle next year, uh, hopefully as the money starts to flow again uh, to some of the artists in distress at the moment, and we will revisit those programs as fast as we possibly can. That's not a perfect answer, Richard, but no, we deal with what we're dealt with. Absolutely. Now, uh, this uh, resilience fund, uh, organisations that will be receiving four-year funding cannot apply to it. When can organisations that applied for the four-year funding program, when can they expect to receive uh, advice on whether their applications have been successful or not? Because for the organisations that were unsuccessful in applying for four-year funding, yeah. they would normally be applying in the June round for project funding in 2021. So obviously everybody needs to know when their four-year funding applications uh, will be announced in order to start planning again in the long term. Can you shed any light on the date of that announcement? Yeah, I will try to shed some light on that. Uh, let me say first up that, um, that I think people understand the reasons for the delay. We were supposed to announce this last Monday. We uh, we feel deeply the kind of anxiety in the sector. Uh, but the, the reason we have delayed it, and the delay will not be much longer, I'll talk about that in, in a moment, um, is we were desperate and keen to get every dollar we could into this fund. Um, Four-year funding is always a critical moment for the sector because it's essentially competitive. You know, there are winners and there are losers, and our judgment is that at this time, to have a purely competitive process uh, would be almost brutal (laughs) for the sector, if I can put it that way, given everything else that the sector is having to deal with. So we we begged for a few more days just to ensure we'd explore we'd explored every way of getting additional money uh, into this fund. And the principle is very simply to keep as many organisations funded as we possibly can. So I think we've done that. Uh, my colleagues have done extraordinary work in the last three or four days, and uh, we will we will contact all the companies by Monday at the latest. Uh, I've got a meeting with my executive straight after I've spoken to you to absolutely nail the timeline on it. We may be able to bring that forward uh, to tomorrow, but I don't want to promise that until we've we've worked through this in detail. Um, so what I'm saying is uh, it could be tomorrow, certainly by Monday uh, at the latest. And again, if I can just say the reason we have done this, obviously is to make sure we've put as much money into this and made it an announcement, a funding stream that will keep as many organisations funded as possible while, of course, introducing new organisations into it through through the normal competitive process. 
If you've just tuned in, my guest is Adrian Collette, the CEO of the Australia Council for the Arts. Uh, another question for you. Friends in the literature sector are concerned that uh, programs specifically designed to support uh, literature, such as through translation, have been temporarily suspended. Obviously, yeah. the uh, Resilience Fund, uh, the Survive Stream, for example, which is for individuals, groups and organisations, they can apply for that. But how do you see kind of the uh, Resilience Fund supporting, in particular, uh, small publishers, for example, in able to thrive into the future? Well, insofar as we are able, with these very limited funds, we will ensure that, that uh, we're as equitable as possible across art forms and sectors. And we also have to keep a national portfolio in mind as well to make sure that this public money is flowing equitably to regional remote regions. So I, I can't over-promise this, Richard. These, these are very constrained funds and there's going to be a big burden of responsibility on them, if I can put it that way. But we are critically aware of those artists in particular who have been affected by us having to withdraw some of our programs on a temporary basis. So on, on that basis, I know my colleagues who will be making these assessments are very, very aware of the impact on literature generally. And, and when you think about what authors do, I mean, they tend by definition to lead relatively solitary lives. It's the way they create their work. But then you think of their impact. It's quite extraordinary. It is actually one of the most engaged art forms. Uh, we like to think about you know, contemporary music concerts and people gathering together and whatever. But when you think of the impact that individual authors have through their readership, it is really quite extraordinary. So, so we are very aware of that and we will do our best to, to make these dollars stretch as far as we can. Now, obviously, this is an uncertain and frightening time for many, and the Australia Council has taken action to ensure it can support a broad range of artists and organisations with this resili resilience fund. It's not mm. business as usual at the moment. Mm. Once the crisis is over, will funding programs return to business as usual, or might the Australia Council take the opportunity to reassess programs for a such as uh, Playing Australia, for example, for a 21st century context rather than just return to and re-establish programs that probably need review? Look, that's a really good question. As I say, this the kind of grim irony of all this is it's, it's sped up a whole lot of things that we were thinking about and also are thinking about. Um, so I think the in-principle answer to your question is yes, um, we want to reintroduce a number of programs that are currently uh, temporarily halted. Um, as you know, Richard, we published a new strategy uh, shortly before all this happened, and it's very much a kind of public value um, strategy, and we want to get back to that work as fast as we can, and I'm sure we're all going to learn many, many lessons for better or worse through this time. So just as I think artists will adapt what they do, I think, over the next 12 months. The Australia Council will have to adapt what it does and what it supports over that period. The, 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 thing in the, the tricky thing in this, of course, is, is thinking about change, thinking about what you call the 21st century agenda without destabilising uh, too much what you've got at a time where so many organisations have been definitively destabilised. So, 
So, yes, I think this is an opportunity, uh, like for everyone, if you can look through the the impacts of this time, there are opportunities there and we don't intend to waste them in the longer term. I've been speaking with Adrian Collette, the CEO of the Australia Council for the Arts. And uh, as we said, the information uh, about the Resilience Fund applications open tomorrow, Friday the 3rd of April, and information will be on the Australia Council website, australiacouncil.gov.au. Adrian, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today here at Triple R. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. Triple R. If you're a mum or a dad at home with kids, you need to entertain them, you need to educate them uh, and keep them stimulated and creative, all of those things simultaneously. Well, thankfully, the National Gallery of Victoria uh, have just launched dedicated online activities for children and families, as well as a suite of learning resources for students and teachers to utilise at home. I'm joined on the line by Kate Ryan, the Curator of Children's Programs at the NGV. Kate, good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Richard. Thanks for having us on on the radio. Very great pleasure. So, obviously, the NGV uh, has a range of programs that it runs for children and families all year round. I'm guessing that the the children's programming team there have scrambled very, very quickly to kind of pivot towards activities for kids and families at home. Yeah, well, we, we have a really huge audience of children that do come to the gallery, so... We want to keep them engaged and, you know, while we are in shutdown, we have opened up online with a host of activities for families and um, children to do at home. So we're really mindful too that, you know, people don't necessarily have um, all the paints and brushes at hand. So we're working with um, the idea of keeping things simple so things don't get too chaotic at home. And um, you can just use um, simple stationary items, the pencils, Staple staplers and scissors, and of course the coloured pencils and markers. And we've created um, a number of sheets that you can either print out or refer to, and then turn the kitchen tabletop into a little mini art studio, and occupy children for you know perhaps 20 minutes with um, creativity. And that's where they can do things like turn um, with the throw of the dice, turn. Um, a plain drawing into a creative monster. You know, it could have one spike or, or five eyes, depending on the roll of the dice. And there's other activities where you can learn about colour mixing and there's little riddles that go along with them. So, you know, let's see if we can work this one out. If you mix red and yellow, you make the colour and it looks also the name of a fruit. So there's fun little activities like that you can do. So it keeps it stimulating. It's meant to be fun and it's also creative and it gives children to be quite social together around the table and also it can involve mum and dad too and, and parents and carers at home. And there's also then a range too of virtual tours that people can do, uh, one of which I'm sure will kind of engage and stimulate particularly older children. Uh, the virtual tour of Top Arts, for example, the kind of annual represent exhibition presenting work by secondary school students uh, in the, from the VCE. Uh, talk to us about kind of these aspects of the program as well, because these are designed for uh, to be educational as well as engaging and stimulating. Yes, so recently the Top Arts 2020 exhibition opened just in um, late March. And, of course, it's had to close. 
but our multimedia team has captured fantastic imagery of the whole entire gallery. So it's very immersive and it's, it's, it's as good as to being there. And the learning team, led by the NGV curator David Menzies, he is hosting um, virtual tours. So I actually went on one, and it's a lot of fun. So you, you sit at your computer and up pops the whole um, exhibition, and then David um, takes you through and you stop at each work, and the students can ask questions and talk to David about the work. And in addition to that, um, the teachers are also there. They're, they're adding their, their thoughts. So it's as good as to being in the actual exhibition. And then in, um, the NGV also on the Top Arts website, it's very comprehensive. There's interviews with the students. Um, there's detailed information about their works. There's their statements. And this is a really great resource for um, students in doing either VCE or in Year 11, even I would say in Year 10, for inspiration across all different mediums with these students that have been selected from across Victoria. Now, obviously, once the schools aren't going to reopen for a while, but teachers will probably be teaching digitally or virtually, and parents, similarly, there's already plenty of parents mm. who do educate their kids at home. So, yeah. uh, and yeah. we will be seeing more of that as well. So, uh, there's also, the NGV is also looking at uh, virtual excursions, for example, uh, and exploring some of the uh, the Japanese modernism exhibition, for example, which just recently opened, and I didn't get the chance to see it before kind of uh, everything went into lockdown. Unfortunately, how important is it to be for the NGV to be providing programs which uh, will kind of connect with and support existing uh, tools and projects that teachers are already familiar with? Yeah, I think, um, well, it's critical for us to do this and we're, we're taking it on with great passion and, you know, um, the gallery does have, you know, fantastic teams that all collaborate and work together to make this happen and it's happening very quickly and I do urge your listeners to go online and, you know, take a break from what you're um, hearing in the news. You know, it, it can become quite overwhelming and for students and teachers but also um the people who are just at home and needing something to do. There's wonderful e-books that you can watch. There's beautiful videos that have been um, that capture these elements from exhibitions. So, for example, Collecting Com uh, de Gosson. It's the fashion exhibition that's on at, at present, and it takes you through a beautiful garment, and you you get up close, and it's a little bit like a behind-the-scenes encounter with the individual um, fashion garment. And you've got the curator there talking you through the steps. So it's it's very relaxing and, of course, very um, you know, educational too. And in addition to that, there's um, tours through gallery spaces led by curators. There's um, the NGV app that you can download. There's a whole series of um, guided tours, the virtual tours that you were mentioning including the Indigenous um, Art Exhibition Marking Time. So these are things you could do day by day and stay connected with the NGV and stay connected with the art and, and hopefully, you know, um, help everyone just um, take their minds off things and um, have a moment away from the realities of our world at the moment. 
Now, if people want to jump online, www.ngv.vic.gov.au forward slash kids, you can see there, for example, the range of uh, activity sheets for kids, which you can use at home, which we've already discussed. So you can download mm. those and play with those. And for kids who uh, want to do more than just a quick activity, uh, and certainly, and for parents who and carers who want to encourage their children's kind of artistic expression in the longer term, I understand yeah. uh, kicking off this Sunday, the 5th of April, is going to be a four-part kind of uh, series, a, a kind of a, a, effectively a, a virtual drawing class online. Yeah, the, um, there's a drop-by drawing class that um, you will all be able to participate in and it's led by an artist and that will be up and available. And then, of course, there's all the learning resources to... Um, that are developed by the learning team that um, parents can take their children through that are, are more in-depth. And we also have a stop-motion animation app uh, where children can actually create their own animations, and that's led by the artists um, from Indonesia called Tromarama. And that can occupy children for, you know, literally days, really, um, with creativity. Uh, with the step-by-step instructions and it's also fun and there's soundtracks that you can add and it's very easy to use. So when people go online, if they just simply type in NGV, up will come and they'll be able to navigate their way because um, we've reset the um, website so that it's um, user-friendly for people in these times. So, uh, again, uh, just go to the NGV website, ngv.vic.gov.au. Uh, if you go to the... T just click on the tab Learn, for example. That's where you'll find uh, a range of resources for children and families and students and teachers as well. Uh, and then... So that's uh, NGV Learn and... Uh, ngv.vic.gov.au forward slash kids to find the range of at-home activities. And otherwise, browse the website, embark on a virtual tour. Uh, there's a lot of resources and videos and more available there to keep people stimulated, engaged and amused while we're all in lockdown. Kate Ryan, Curator of Children's Programs at the NGV, many thanks for the pleasure of your company this morning. A pleasure, Richard. Thank you. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. If you are feeling restless, one of the things we're doing on Smart Arts uh, started last week and going to run it for the next few weeks at least, a little kind of DIY arts segment. You're at home, you might be on your own, you can't hang out with your friends, uh, certainly and except via Skype or Zoom or, or FaceTime. So it's a good opportunity to kind of get your hands dirty and start creating. If you don't have an artistic kind of practice or habit or hobby of your own, we're going to talk about some ways to encourage that. Last week, we spoke about DIY podcasting. This week, uh, we're going to talk about drawing, the mental health benefits of drawing, how you can learn to draw, how you can start sketching. I'm joined on the line by Angie Ray, who is a Melbourne fashion illustrator, educator. Uh, she's involved uh, with a, uh, a business called Angie Ray Illustration and the Drawing Salon, and she's an occasional Triple R presenter as well. Angie, Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm really well, really well indeed. So, look, how easy is it just to pick up a, a pencil and paper and start drawing? Because I, I know the last time I tried, I got fairly quickly discouraged at my inability <laughs> to capture what was in front of me. Yeah, it's so easy and uh, it's so important to just do it. Um, 
I could I could talk for hours just about this because I know in my own classes I would get a lot of people coming who would say, oh, look, I just have no artistic ability, I can't draw at all, and it's just stuff that they've been told at some point, usually at school, by mean teachers and, and stuff like that, and I can't believe how many people believe that they have no creativity whatsoever or no drawing skill, but, you know, we we all have creativity, it comes out in different ways, and anyone can learn to draw and that is it if you have reasonable eyesight you can learn to draw and it, but but you just need to have some tips put some practice in um but also understand sure it's easier for some people than for others just like some people are naturally more gifted with sports and athletics or or stuff like that other people will be naturally you know, more inclined to get better at art more easily, but you can get just as good by practicing, and that's that's the most important thing. So, if somebody right now was thinking, okay, I, I I've got a notepad, I've got a pencil or a pen, maybe I should start sketching something. What would you recommend as a as a couple of quick, easy beginning steps and beginning lessons? Should I mean, should they just dive straight into sketching a still life, for example, or their flatmate? How do we begin? I'd probably start with something more simple than a human body, um, because that is more complex. Although if you want to do that, um, my, my tip there is to think of the face or the body as a landscape more so than a, than a figure because we also have more preconceptions about what a figure looks like and what a face looks like and we tend to go into kind of symbolic drawing where we draw what we, we think an eye looks like instead of what we're really seeing but the first thing I'd say to do and you don't need any special equipment whatsoever you know like you say a notepad and a ballpoint pen is going to be fine to get you started but I would probably do some exercises just to um just to, sorry, I had another call coming in the other line, I had to silence, um, to get into the right side of the brain because that's the side of the brain that's the artistic side, it's the timeless um, side where you you lose all sense of time and you, you we've all experienced it at one point or another where we're doing something and we just think, oh, my God, an hour just went by, what happened? Well, that's you being in the right side of the brain, in the brain or as Oprah would call it, the flow or the zone. So you want to get into that zone because that's the that's the part of your brain that recognizes shapes and angles and lines and that's that creative side. So first of all, find yourself a bit of space and put on some music but preferably instrumental music that doesn't have lyrics to it because the words will often draw your attention and uh, language is the left side of the brain because that's the that's all the chatter and all the stuff that's going on in the world that we kind of want to escape from with the drawing. So um yeah, get a, get away from that. So don't put the TV on or anything like that because that's going to pull you out of that that right side of, side of the brain as well. And then there's a couple of classic exercises that can engage the right side immediately. Uh, one of them is drawing something upside down. If you want to draw from a picture or a photo, you can turn it upside down and draw it like this. I don't know. Have you ever tried that? I've not, no, but I really like <laughs> the idea because, as you say, it, it instantly takes something familiar and challenges you a little bit and just puts you in a different place mentally. Yeah, well, what it does is that it immediately prevents you from drawing 
what you're familiar with. And so you, you can't draw that eye, what you think an eye looks like, because it's no longer recognisable to the brain. So immediately it flicks you into the right side of the brain and you have to just draw the shapes that you see, the, the angles that you're seeing, etc. And guaranteed, when I do this exercise with art students, if you get them to draw the same thing upside down and the same thing the right way up, almost always the upside down one is better because it's it's drawn based on what you're really seeing instead of what you think you're seeing because learning to draw is really learning to see. So this will, will train that, that observation sort of skill. So that's one of the classic sort of right brain exercises. There's a brilliant book uh, that's really famous that came out in about 79 that's drawing on the right side of the brain by Betty Edwards and that has a whole lot of exercises in it that's really good for this but so that's one or you can simply get your bit of paper decide what you're going to draw pick a spot on what you're going to draw don't look at your paper and do what's called a blind contour drawing so your eye just follows really carefully around the edges and the shapes of what you're looking at and your hand moves at the same time as your eye in one continuous line it's really relaxing and it's going to it's going to look like a freak show down on the paper but that doesn't matter because it's not about the outcome or you know whatever it's just about the process and getting into the zone and just feeling that relaxation that you feel from drawing and that's one of the really important things don't don't be judgmental or attached to the outcome just enjoy it now some of the other uh, quick tips and suggestions that i've heard for people who want to kind of rediscover the skill of drawing is simple mm. things like uh practicing cross hatching for example uh or uh just sketching your own hand so that way it's something that's familiar and in front of you and it's an opportunity to play yeah. with contour and perhaps to play with shade depending on where the light in the room is and that's where the cross hatching comes in for example to to add to shade what are some other kind of simple ways to to find that flow and to enjoy creativity for its own sake, not because you want to make a business out of it, for example, but just to have fun in your own home? Yeah, uh, look, there's so many different things when you start to think about it, so many different things you could draw. I mean, I like drawing my shoes. I really like drawing a bottle of wine and a glass of wine. Um, thing, simple things like that that you like. Um, and to think of you know the elements of drawing that include like line, tone or shape so maybe draw it once just in line draw it again and don't use any line and just make some tone and that can be like you say it can be cross hatching it can be smudging depends what you've got to work with as well um and draw it in different ways and just look at how how differently it looks but uh, just most importantly not being trying not trying to get a drawing that you are going to want to show people or you're going to want to put it on Instagram or whatever, but it's like the, you know, dance like no one's watching, but drawing like no one's going to look at it or something and just enjoy it for that sake. Um, for people also who have really no idea just how to how to get started or move that pencil around the page, it can be useful to take uh, another artist's drawing and copy it just for the purpose of studying it's a you know it's an age-old sort of artist technique of, of studying other artists um uh, methods and and techniques and you know draw their drawing and then draw something else but in the style of that drawing so then you apply sort of what you noticed about their the way that they draw because in actually reproducing something you'll notice 
a million more things about it than you ever noticed by just looking at it uh, because you have to notice how did they make that mark, you know, what gave them that effect, what could I do to get that effect, etc. It's a really um, useful skill and it also gives people kind of something to uh, to something specific to aim for when they just don't know what the drawing should look like. And, of course, you don't need... Uh expensive paper and expensive pencils and pens to get started. You can literally just grab any piece of paper that's lying around the house and just, as you said, grab anything. a ballpoint pen. Yeah, like anything. I mean, I love, I really love drawing on brown paper bags and um, if you get sort of shopping bags that are the, the brown cardboard, I love those because it's a beautiful weight and it's really smooth or even just the back of envelopes, like from, from mail, um, after you've quarantined it for viruses, of course, but, uh, you know, flatten it out, just, just draw on that. I think that drawing, drawing on, on scraps of paper is the least intimidating thing you can do as well because I always find the most beautiful paper that I have and the most expensive, I'm intimidated by it to draw on it. Um, so particularly starting off, just draw on scraps and then you, you really won't care what it looks like. And, you know, if you're going to draw regularly and drawing every day, you'll be amazed at how much better you get because it's hand-to-eye coordination as well. And that that develops um, really quickly, actually. So maybe put a date on the bits of paper and if you've got a bit of wall, stick them to the wall and see the, the, the amount of drawings kind of build up and uh, admire it all together. Which is um, a, a, but, yeah, also... Any scraps. Uh, that would be a wonderful way to then document three months of isolation as well. And totally. to be able to see the, the, the development in your skill. I mean, the old adage is practice makes perfect. We don't want you yeah. to be perfect. We want you to no. be expressing yourself. And if you gain yeah. confidence through that process, that's going to be better for your mental health as well. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, just the, the relaxation of getting into the zone, uh, once you experience it, you realise how incredible it is. Um, but also, yeah, you're developing that skill. And, you know, it's it's useful for lots of things. Like developing your observation is really good. It's, it's taught in medicine to help develop um, diagnostics, you know, visual diagnostics of things as well. Like to, to have better observation, um, to notice more is, is useful for so many things. And, uh, and you're learning a new skill. And, you know, I recommend um, there's lots of free um, tutorials on YouTube and stuff. And some of them um, are really, really good. Um, I've put together, I've, I'm almost ready to post it. I'm like five minutes away from posting it. Um, I've done a blog post of, about our chat and with some links to what people can look at and some suggestions for some exercises if people want. That's on, on patsyfox.com. Um, so people can go to the links to that book or whatever just to to back that up. But there's just there's so many resources. Um, MoMA in New York has put uh, some classes on their website that people can do for free as well, some art classes. And so that blog of yours, again, so that's patsyfox.com. And uh, the NGV have also got a free drawing class kicking off this Sunday as well. Yeah, I was just listening to that, which is fantastic. So it's really great that people are um, offering, you know, especially galleries offering so many of those, um, those things for free, which is, which is brilliant. So uh, for the uh, NGV's Drop-In Drawing Workshop series, a four-part series kicking off this Sunday, ngv.vic.gov.au forward slash channel. And if you go to patsyfox.com, that is uh, the blog for my guest, uh, Angie Ray, uh, and she'll be posting there shortly with some links and details and about everything that we've just been talking about. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Angie, thank you so much for your company today. You're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the chat. All the best. Take bye -bye. care. Okay, bye. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 